Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. We have got a great opportunity for people. The Phoenix Suns are back in the playoffs, and we are giving you a chance to score the hottest ticket in town. Yes, Suns playoff tickets. Text the word TICKET to 411923. Register and listen for your name during the 7 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. hours starting tomorrow for your chance to qualify for Game 1 tickets. See the Suns take on the Clippers. That's ticket to 411-923. That is a cool opportunity. Um, I talked earlier, we've been talking about the economy, and I've been kind of uh, talking about what makes a great community, what makes a great economy. Um, I think that all of us are cognizant of the fact that there are people among us there, when there are winners, there are losers. There are, and I mean that in a competitive way. That when there are people out there that are very successful, there are sometimes people that are not as successful. As some people get ahead, there are some people that are left behind. And it's how we deal with that, pro- that problem, I think, is what really says the most about our community. And here's what I mean by that. Um, my friend Kristen Bentz always says it's about beds and eds. When you see a community that is building schools and hospitals, you've got a thriving community. That's an indicator for investors that this is a community that is growing and thriving. And we see a lot of that happening here in the Valley. There is a lot to be happy about in the Valley. Uh, the investment in the chip industry, the diversification of our economy, the increases in wages, home values continuing to climb. These are all good signs for a thriving strong economy. The other part of that that makes a community great is how you deal with the people in your community that are still in need. And I don't ever want to be a part of a community where we turn to the government and say, take our tax money, you come up with a plan, and you fix the problem. That doesn't mean that safety net programs are not worthwhile. I'm not talking that, I'm not saying that WIC or SNAP or any of these other programs have no value. I'm saying that a thriving, strong, good community recognizes and acts on need around them. And I think that that makes us a good place. If you are, and I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm, this is my personal opinion. If you are someone that is living within your means, you're financially stable, and you think, you know what, I pay taxes, um, uh, and, uh, you pay taxes, and you, therefore your tax dollars should be taking care of the charitable things that are needed in our community. I would say to you two things. Number one, you're being lazy. But number two, you're missing out on the privilege of giving. That is, uh, that is the issue. You are missing out on the privilege of giving. Um, growing up the way I get, I grew up uh, with not having much, there were people in our community that helped us, and I've never forgotten that. And I always committed that if I ever did better in my life, that I would try to help people because giving always felt better than receiving. And it's been a privilege to be able to give to people. So I would say that there is a laziness that you think that other people are taking care of it. I think that the government way of doing things may be necessary to some degree, but it is inefficient at best. That is my um, belief. 
But I want you to hear a statistic that I was, was sent to me today. I mentioned this earlier. There are two main locations for St. Mary's Food Bank, the OG, um, because they are the original. Uh, one is in Phoenix at 31st Avenue and Thomas, and the other location is in Surprise. Last week, they gave out 7,601 uh, food boxes to households. Uh, 7,601. There were 4,823 last year during the same week. That's a 58% increase in the need. So I would say we are doing very well in the Valley in many ways. But we also understand that there are people, because we have a huge influx of people that are coming in, and we have some people that are not able to keep up because the money they make was just barely enough in the past. The idea that hunger is hand-in-hand hand with homelessness only is not true. This is the biggest, I guess, misconception about hunger that I wish more people understood, that there are hardworking families right now that have children. There are parents, whether it is a two-parent household or a single-parent household, there are parents that go to bed at night worried that their children will be hungry tomorrow. They will be hungry tomorrow. And you know if you're a parent, you'd rather be hungry than have your kids be hungry. So that's where organizations like St. Mary's Food Bank and the others come in as they are the ones that are filling those voids efficiently and quickly. I mention them because as we talk about Arizona's economy, I am always going to be a champion for growth. I'm always going to be a champion for bring in more big business, bring in more people that are going to give good, high-paying jobs. I want to see the home values continue to increase. I want to see all of these things happen because I think it's good for the overall economy. But the only way we become a good, uh, I would say we stay a good community, is if the people that are benefiting from these good jobs and higher home values remain aware of the need around them and to do what they can to lift those people up. This isn't about a lifetime of charity. What this is is about a period of time where families can get back on their feet. A couple of the stories that I think are amazing to me anyway, I love these stories, are to hear people that are volunteers or employees at some of these organizations that when it comes time to speak to the public will be bold enough to come out and say, I was a recipient of their kindness. I was someone that had to come here and pick up one of these food boxes or for a time we picked up many of these food boxes. We were fed um, with a food box for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And now I'm back on my feet financially. I'm making enough money. And now I volunteer so that I can give back to the next family. That to me is what takes a good community and keeps it a great community. When we realize we don't punish the rich, we don't envy the wealthy, we don't envy the upper middle class or the middle class. What we do is we say we are going to help these people get there. And I just think it's an amazing opportunity for us. I talk about intentional giving quite a bit. So as we talk about the economy, gas prices are going up. For many of us, myself included, it's a nuisance. I hate it. But for many people, it's backbreaking. There are families right now that when gas prices continue to go up like they are, this is not a political statement on any level. Gas prices continue to go up for whatever reason they're going up, that they will sit down. Today's Tuesday, that by Thursday, they will be having a real conversation that Friday's payday, if you get paid twice a month, let's say, Friday's payday. And uh, we don't have enough gas in the car to get to work on Thursday if we buy 
food for everybody to eat dinner. And that's a real conversation for too many families. And helping and these organizations stay afloat, a 58% increase. So food costs have gone up for you and for me when we grocery shop. They've gone, gone up for these organizations as well, St. Mary's Food Bank and all of the others. They're finding the expenses gone up. They are finding that there's less donors available because there are less people that have the discretionary income to give. And they're trying to figure out how they are going to feed the more mouths that are coming with the less donations that are coming in. This is where the intentional giving part of our community comes in. It's where people like you and I are thinking about this and saying, well, I've got a little bit. It's not as much as I wish I had, but I can do something. And if we do that, if we are intentional in that giving, then we can help make sure organizations that are doing this kind of work can continue to do this work. And then when I come on the air a year from now and we say last year it was 7,600, this year it's less because more and more people are catching up, then we are a part of that solution as a community. That's just my, my rant for the day on the economy. In a moment, we are uh, going to get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's called Did You Hear This? So please stick around for it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, it's time to catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day. We call it Did You Hear This? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Yesterday in Louisville, it was the 15th mass shooting in April alone. The quick police response time helped to mitigate the tragedy. The police quickly descended on this. They did everything right. I would say from watching how these law enforcement officers respond in Nashville last week, uh, Louisville this week, they are getting there very, very quickly. How did police ensure quick response times like yesterday? You know, again, you've got to have a fully staffed. Uh, sometimes, I, I hate using this word, but it's luck or good fortune that there are officers close by when a call goes out. But that is what cities are wrestling with across this country. And it's not just when these horrible things happen. It's when any situation happens that's an emergency. The response time for first responders, police and fire, this lesson is one that cities have got to learn quickly. We're in a unique situation in the city of Phoenix because we are a wide city. We are not a tall city. So it is longer for sometimes for people to get to you when you have an emergency. But I think faster response times is a staffing issue. And it's an efficiency issue when calls come out. They are starting to learn how to use sometimes civilian employees to do certain jobs to free up the, the certified uh, employees or the sworn law enforcement, as they're called, to do the other parts of law enforcement. And I think it's going to take that kind of a collective effort. Kentucky Democratic Representative Morgan McGarvey says that we need action to prevent more mass shootings from happening. We need policies in place that will keep this from happening again so that thoughts and prayers do not have to be offered to yet another community ripped apart by the savage violence coming from guns. Is there something you could point to from the gun control argument that Second Amendment advocate rights could agree on? Not, not much, and I mean that respectfully. Um, when you say when you have this savage violence coming from guns, there is no violence coming from guns. The violence is coming from the person with their finger on the trigger. And so the, uh, the reason why I'm such an adamant defender of the Second Amendment is because guns are a tool. 
You could kill somebody with a hammer or you could build a house with it. You can kill somebody with a sawzall or you could build a house with it. You could help somebody save a life with a firearm or protect a life with a firearm or you could take lives with it. I just think that frame of thinking, I understand the passion. I understand the anger. I share it. But I do not believe your focus on the weapon used is ever going to put a dent in this. And the last thing I'll say, and I mean all of this respectfully, you look at every single one of the gun laws that are in place that these shooters violate before they pull the trigger. None of those laws slowed them down or stopped them. No new laws will either. New laws stop law-abiding citizens from breaking the law. They do nothing for criminals. And once we get over that hump, we can talk about real solutions. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. We are seeing spiking oil prices due to OPEC cutting production and paying the price for it at the fuel pump. In the past week, the average price of regular unleaded rose 10 cents to three sixty a gallon, according to new data from the Energy Department. Prices jumping 13 cents in the Midwest and 12 cents in the lower Atlantic. It comes as travel demand is rising with better weather and moving towards summer. How are you seeing this cut from OPEC affect the valley? I, it's it's going to affect affect us dramatically. We have got kind of the perfect storm here in the valley going on right now. We use a different blend of fuel at this time of year that is more expensive to blend. There have been delivery and refinement issues. Those two things added to an increase in cost. Now the production cost because of oil prices is going to add a third level of this. What I fear this is going to do is take even more discretionary income out of the pockets of valley residents, which is going to slow down spending for small businesses and slow down the overall economy. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully this levels off and ends soon, but that's the damage I think that can and will be done. Chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, Clint Hickman, joined you in studio today to discuss the 2022 election printer investigation report. He wanted to make it clear that the election was clean and fair. There's thousands of people. How do you have a thousand people participate, thousands of people participate in a conspiracy of stopping a free and fair election? It's just not happening. Will this report put those fears to rest? I don't think so. I think that for the people, um, and I know many of them, um, and I I want to defend them a little bit. I'm talking about people that I think are good people that just believe that the election was stolen. The only way to um, to quell those concerns are going to be real, honest conversations, just like Mr. Hickman had in saying, wait a minute, you have to have an inordinate a number of people in on the conspiracy for the conspiracy to be true. And then you have to have them have a willingness to move on with assurances. Keep watching. Keep your eyes on this. Let us know when we're doing something wrong. But this mutual disrespect that happens on both sides never does anything to fix the problem. All right, that's Did You Hear This? Good job, Julia. For another day, we'll do it again tomorrow at 1120. It is... um uh, we're going to in a moment what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go back to that story and we're going to go back to that time with Clint Hickman. He had a lot to say on this topic and we're going to discuss that topic coming up here in just a few moments. So please stick around. Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app.
Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show. We are um, <clears throat> we had a great conversation with Clint Hickman from the County Board of Supervisors. Um, I always try to get as many voices as I can on a topic in here um, to talk about an issue. And I don't think that there's any bigger issue that we are facing when it comes to who we elect than the election integrity issue. And because it's about perception, perception is reality. If people don't believe the elections are fair, then people won't vote. And I think that is counterproductive. I think we need more people at the ballot box, not less. So um, the discussion about what happened in 2022, there is no doubt that there were bad things that happened on Election Day of 2022. Maricopa County has acknowledged it from the moment it began until now. And the question has always been, was it done intentionally? There are people that believe it was intent. This report that came out from Justice McGregor, and we're going to try to get Justice McGregor on the show as well, says no. Um, And as a matter of fact, I want you to hear this is Mr. Hickman. Again, this is not the justice herself saying this, but this is uh, what Clint Hickman's interpretation, Justice McGregor said that the county actually did. She said straight out that there were the people and the personnel um, have a passion for their job and and they performed their job correctly to what, what they knew what was happening. Uh, the technicians were out there flying around and we fixed most of the problem by the time voting day was was ended. But, yeah, so I feel very strongly. So they responded. Uh, they were responding to complaints from back in 2020. There was something called Sharpie Gate in 2020. This is where I have a problem with people reacting and, and a knee jerk reaction to something. So um, the Sharpies that were used, the felt pens that were used uh, by people, they were saying it was bleeding through the paper and it was changing votes. The way the ballots were printed, and you can look at the ballots. This is not, I'm not somebody that is just, I don't just dismiss what people say. But I looked, I looked into this. I voted at a polling place. When you looked at the opposite side of the ballot, the way that everything was offset, even if ink bled through at all, which it didn't on my ballot at all, because I looked, it would not have changed any vote. It would not have altered anything. But there was this big uproar about Sharpie Gate. So the county said, okay, we'll use thicker paper. It turns out the thicker paper was part of the issue. So there's no doubt that what happened on Election Day in Maricopa County should never, ever, ever happen again. The county doesn't want it to happen again. But we are hearing from another independent source that it wasn't intentional. This is my problem, and this is where I go to bat against some of the people that I love very much, that I agree with very often, is that they still believe it was done intentionally. And here's the question. How can all these people be in on it? I mean, I I know – when I say I know, I want to be careful because there are people I know very well, and there are people that I know. I know former Congressman John Shattuck. Don't know him very well. I've been in the room with him many times. I've emceed events that he spoke at. I've had conversations with him. But I wouldn't – I mean, he's, he's never invited me out for a drink. You know what I'm saying? I don't know him that well. But he's an honest guy. He's a guy that served in the Congress admirably. He is a brilliant attorney. He is well-respected. There's no doubt about any of those things. Why in the world would he compromise his integrity to lie about findings about the election? 
He was agreed upon by the county board of supervisors, by the state senate, to be the special master to look into whether or not they were compromised in the software. Whether the voting machines had been broken into or hacked, which they weren't. They also found they were no evidence that they were ever connected to the internet and nobody was able to get into the machines and alter anything. Those were the findings. He was hammered as in on it as well. Now you've got Justice McGregor saying that there was no intentional foul play in this election. Justice McGregor will be the next in line to be accused of being a part of it. That's where I would say to everybody, you have to, I understand the passion, I understand the anger, but you have to ask yourself, how many good people, how many good people have to be in on it? That you thought were good people that are now bad people. Donald Trump raved about Clinton Hickman at an event. Is Hickman in on it? Bill Gates. Is Gates in on it? Are you going to say these are not good people that now they've compromised their lifetime of integrity to be in on stealing election from fellow Republicans? That doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that the sheriff's office is in on it. Doesn't make sense that two different county attorneys are in on it. Doesn't make sense that the county recorder is in on it. But now they all have to be in on it. They all have to be in on this. They have to then bring in John Shattuck, and he has to be in on it. Justice McGregor, and she has to be in on it. And then everybody that worked for them in coming to their conclusions had to be in on it in order for this conspiracy to stand. And I don't think that's possible. Not to mention the multiple judges these cases have been in front of. That's just my belief. Now, I will get hateful emails from people. But you can hate me if you want. I'm asking honest questions. I'm not demonizing you. You have a right to your opinion. I'm telling you why, because I'm your friend, because I'm someone that will stand with you, hopefully shoulder to shoulder, moving into 2024, hoping that our party wins elections. And I want us to have the air clear when we are fighting together to win elections. You tell me how that's possible. You don't owe me an explanation. I'm telling you why I think what I think. You decide for yourself how it's true. So the big question about all of this, and I'm going to get into this before the show ends, is if there is one major question in the minds of people about stolen elections, sometimes it's about the machines that tabulate, other times it's about some of the other equipment that's used, but it's about signature verification. The other part about it is ballot counting. So before I get to signature verification, let's talk about tabulation. I voted on a, I voted um, before election day, but I did it in person because I like to vote in person. I knew Tuesday was going to be a nightmare for me because election day was going to be very busy and I was afraid I wouldn't have time to get to the polls on election day. So I went down and cast an early ballot in person, if that makes any sense. So in normal early voting, you Vote with an envelope. You fill your ballot out at home. You sign and date the front of the envelope, certifying and swearing that it's you that filled out the ballot. You mail your ballot in. You get a message telling you when your ballot was received. Then you get a message when your ballot was counted so you know what the process is like. For me, I got verified at the polls. They looked at my ID, my voter certification. 
or identification, my voter ID. Um, I certified who I was. They gave me a ballot, but I didn't put it into a tabulation machine. It went into that drawer three or whatever it is, and it was counted later. And so, but it did not have to be verified. If there was a way to count those ballots, if you brought an early ballot in and dropped it into the same box I dropped mine in, why would you have to wait? Why couldn't we put our ballots into a tabulation machine? Does that make sense? That if you have filled out your ballot at home, you want an early ballot, but you don't trust the mail-in system. Wouldn't it be make sense if there was an opportunity for you to go into the polling places where you just drop – instead of dropping your envelope into a box, you go in and you show your voter ID. You prove who you are and you say, yes, this is me and this is my ballot. And you just – instead of going into a, a, a voting booth and voting, you just scan your ballot and you watch it be tabulated. Wouldn't that speed up the election process? Now, I don't know if that's the, the save all to speeding things up on election day and what that would do to the line at the polling places, but I wonder why we're not doing that. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about signature verification and why this is such a big issue, and you're going to hear what Mr. Hickman had to say about it. It's all coming up in a moment. Strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, unskinny buck. Thanks for being here today. Um, I want to get to a little bit more of this Maricopa County elections um, thing. I want you to tell when you hear about our conversation talking with Clint Hickman. Uh, Clint Hickman is a um, is the chairman of the county board of supervisors, and we talked about signature verification. So uh, I want you to hear his description. This is how signature verification works. I don't know what more to do other than with an education. There's the signature verification goes through in front of boards, our election boards. If it's a mismatched or if there's something different about that signature, that goes in front of a Republican and a Democrat sitting at a table looking at it. And then it goes goes and takes further steps all the way to the point because that's why that phone number is on that envelope. We our people call the, those numbers and verify and you have to attest that that's your signature before we we even take it out of the envelope and count that vote. So the the way the process works for those and if you live in Maricopa County, 80 percent of the county votes by mail. So I'm not saying anything you don't already know, but you get an envelope with a ballot in it and you fill out your ballot and then you have to sign the exterior of the envelope. You have to put a phone number on it. And then what they do before they even open the envelope is they verify the signature on that ballot with your name and the signature they have on file. The way the system is supposed to work is they have to agree that that is your signature. If they don't agree that it's your signature, they reach out to you and they give you the opportunity to swear to affirm that it was you that cast that ballot. That's the curing process. Once that is verified that the signature on that envelope is yours, they open the ballot, they separate the envelope from the ballot and the ballot is counted. Now, 
They say, I believe they save the envelopes. If they don't save the envelopes, they save digital pictures of the envelopes. But they have this ability to verify signatures. The process has changed because questions have talked about the cheating have been. It's why people were watching ballot drop boxes and they were looking for stuffing of ballot drop boxes. The more you know about the process the less likely it becomes that people are cheating in your mind. That doesn't mean that people don't cheat. I do believe that there is multiple ways we could make our election system safer and better. And I think that just because you or somebody else doesn't believe that um, there needs to be any changes, we can always do better. Um, Here's what Mr. Hickman had to say about the legislature and the verification. The legislature also looks at these standards, and uh, if they want to change them, they can, legislatively and statutorily. And what we do is we'll, pl- we'll plug those in. One of the things that I think this is where the politics of this is silly, because anybody out there, I, I, you can't accuse me if you've listened to this show from going all the way back to the audit. If you've listened to this show, you know that I have stood up and said, much to the dismay of people in my political party sometimes, that I wasn't buying into the stolen election. I didn't like the audit from the very beginning. So you can't accuse me of being one of those people that's an election denier because that's not who I am. But I also am not someone that says everything's just fine. Leave it the way it is. We should be fixing the voter rolls. You should be. It's I just had this happen to me. I have um, you know, I pay very close attention to my credit. I always want to make sure I pay my bills early, um, all that. I do all that stuff. I don't use credit cards very often. It took me a long time to pay credit cards down, but I had a bunch of credit cards, a bunch of credit cards. And I just had one of them close my account because I didn't use it. I got a notification a few months ago saying, hey, we are uh, you haven't used this account in a long time. They were trying to encourage me to use this this credit card. If you don't, we are going to close it because you're not using it for non-usage. And I just got an email today that they closed that account. Now, I don't know why they would close the account on the chance that someday I might use it, but they closed the account. Is it a fraud thing? I don't know what the answer is. But if you are getting a ballot in the mail during the election process and you are not responding and you are not voting, then they should quit sending you a ballot. If they're going to send you a postcard, you tell me how badly you want to vote. If they send you a postcard that says, do you want to keep getting a ballot or not because you haven't voted in two straight elections? All you got to do is check the box yes and mail it back. That's too much of an effort. There are dead people that stay on the rolls. There are people that move and they get ballots at multiple locations. We know this happens. Do I believe that this is lending itself to widespread fraud? No, I don't think that. Is it the right thing to do? No. It's a horrible thing to do. Why do we want ballots out there floating around? We shouldn't want that. So we should fix the voter rolls. These are reasonable things. Presenting an an Arizona state ID card, whether it's a driver's license or an ID card or whatever it is to prove who you are. Being able to show up and cast a ballot with an electric bill in the name you say you are is ridiculous. So there are things that we can do to improve our elections. That doesn't mean that I'm saying there's widespread fraud. It's a, so if you think it's redu- ridiculous to say there's widespread fraud, I would say to you that it's ridiculous to say that everything is as safe as it needs to be. So where's the middle ground? 
Why shouldn't we require IDs at the polls? Why shouldn't we fix the voter rolls and make sure that it's only current early voters that are getting early ballots at the address they currently live at? If you think either one of those are wrong, I would love to give you an opportunity to defend that point of view. I'd love to hear from you. Just about out of time. Tomorrow on the show, 835, Senate candidate Sheriff Mark Lamb is going to join us. It should be an interesting conversation about his race for the United States Senate, so it should be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Until then, I hope you are going to have a great day. We're back tomorrow morning, beginning at around 8 a.m. So have a great day, everyone. God bless.